couple of us came together of saying, how can we do research with and for Two-Spirit communities, but have it be good research that is informed by good relations and that is informed by Indigenous ways of knowing, being, and doing. If you meet someone who's Indigenous and someone who may be queer or queer-identified, you cannot make the assumption that, one, they even know what Two-Spirit is or that they use it and claim it. Out the international LGBTQ radio magazine. I'm Greg Gordon. India's Supreme Court sidesteps marriage equality. Poland's LGBTQ free party loses big at the polls. And a two spirit researcher explores the intersection of decolonization and gender diversity. All that and more this week because you found this way out. I'm Sarah Montague. And I'm Michael Taylor Gray. With News Wrap, a summary of some of the news in or affecting LGBTQ communities around the world for the week ending October 21st, 2023. India's Supreme Court turned back a bid for marriage equality on October 17th. With crowds gathered outside the court to watch the much-anticipated decision on their cell phones and the announcement streaming live across the country, the justices deferred to Parliament to enact the necessary legislation. They expressed sympathy for the lack of legal protections for same-gender couples. The five-judge panel of the High Court had heard the consolidated cases of more than a dozen petitioners challenging the marriage laws argued in April and May. Activists in India and around the world expressed disappointment in what some call the justices' cowardice. Still, they applauded the High Court's clear empathy for the legal plight of same-gender couples. Although the justices noted that individual states were free to enact their own marriage equality laws, Chief Justice D.Y. Chandrashoot maintained this court cannot make law, it can only interpret it and give effect to it. According to a Pew Research Center poll conducted earlier this year, 53% of India's population supports full marriage equality for gay and lesbian couples. That's a huge jump from 15% in a similar survey in 2014. About 1.4 billion of the world's 8 billion people live in India. Marriage equality there would cover at least one in six of Earth's inhabitants. In neighboring Nepal, Lower courts have refused to register the marriage of at least one queer couple after the Supreme Court provisionally opened civil marriage to lesbian, gay, and non-traditional couples. Surendra Pandey is a cisgender man, and Maya Garung is a transgender woman legally recognized as male. They held a traditional Hindu marriage ceremony in 2017. Their efforts to register were rejected by a district court and then a high court because they viewed it as a same-gender marriage, according to Human Rights Watch. Those courts claim that the Supreme Court's July order was directed only to the government, and that the Parliament must first enact marriage equality legislation. Nepal's civil code continues to recognize only binary marriages between a male and a female. The couple may file a new case with the Supreme Court to try to resolve the apparent stalemate. The Shizukoka Family Court in central Japan has found that the reassignment surgery prerequisite for changing gender on government documents is unconstitutional. The court questioned the necessity and rationality 
of the requirement under the current law. 48-year-old transgender male Jen Suzuki filed a lawsuit in 2021 charging that requiring surgery to change their legal gender was not only unconstitutional, it was inhuman. Suzuki celebrated the October 19th decision, telling reporters, I want children to hang on to their hope. I want to see a society where sexual diversity is naturally accepted. Japan's Supreme Court is expected to rule on a similar case before the end of the year. Justices already ruled in July that a transgender female government worker was entitled to use restrooms that match her gender identity, the first such ruling by the High Court involving anti-queer workplace bias. Equality advocates in Poland and around the world are hailing the results of landmark parliamentary elections that spell the end of the eight-year rule of the far-right Law and Justice Party. Polish voters turned out in record numbers on October 16th, with almost 73% going to the polls, according to exit surveys. While the Law and Justice Party won more seats than any of the opposition parties, it failed to win enough to form a new government. Three of the major opposition parties are expected to create a coalition government. Law and Justice Party leaders like President Andrzej Duda make viciously anti-queer rhetoric a major component of their political campaigns. During their tenure, declarations by local jurisdictions of so-called LGBTQ free zones flourished across the country. Many of those declarations have been rescinded in recent times, because of the threatened loss of European Union funding. Donald Tusk is a former EU president who now leads the Civic Coalition Party, which won close to 32% of the vote. He told reporters, I have been a politician for many years. Never in my life have I been so happy about taking seemingly second place. Poland won. Democracy has won. We have removed them from power. The election results also paved the way for better relations with the European Union, which has repeatedly condemned the Polish government for its anti-democratic, anti-queer actions. The government of Saskatchewan has decided to prohibit children under the age of 16 from changing their names or pronouns at school without the consent of their parents or guardians. Right-wing Premier Scott Moe cited a clause in the constitution of one of Canada's most conservative provinces to call lawmakers into special session. Human Rights Commissioner Heather Kutai resigned immediately after the proposal was introduced. She has a transgender son. In her resignation letter, she said, One of the reasons my son is now out and thriving is because of the support he received at school. Kutai is a former Paralympic medals winner who has held the post since 2014. She said that she would have opposed the proposal on principle alone and did not hide her contempt for the far-right provincial government when she spoke on the floor of Parliament. Mr. Speaker, this is about priorities. And this government clearly, clearly has the wrong priorities. This is a government that drafted the pronoun policy after a matter of days and a handful of letters. They've recalled the legislature to invoke the notwithstanding clause yep. to sow division yep. and, to, and to score political points, Mr. Speaker. They have completely, completely lost sight of the things that matter most to the people of this province. This is not an aw 
shucks, wait and see, we need to do better mo moment, Mr. Speaker. They are the government, and it is their responsibility to do what it takes to keep children alive in this province. So here's my question. When will the Premier act on the mental health supports with the same urgency that he's addressed the pronoun policy with? Under what's become Conservative legislators' standard parental rights guise, Bill 137 was introduced last week by Saskatchewan Party Education Minister Jeremy Cockrell. In California, the Chino Valley Unified School District has been prevented from requiring school teachers and administrators to out transgender or non-binary students to their parents or guardians. San Bernardino County Superior Court Judge Michael A. Sachs blocked enforcement of parts of a policy enacted by the school board, calling it unconstitutional. However, he validated another part of the policy that requires school officials to notify parents or guardians if a student asks for information in their permanent records to be changed. California Attorney General Rob Bonta filed suit against Chino's anti-trans policy in August. A few other conservative school districts in the state have enacted parallel policies. Another judge temporarily blocked enforcement of a similar policy of the Escondido Union School District in September. Chief U.S. Justice David Nye refused to extend his temporary injunction against an Idaho law that denies trans and gender nonconforming students access to sex-segregated bathrooms, locker rooms, and sleeping facilities based on their gender identity. Nye temporarily blocked enforcement of the law in August to take time to consider all aspects of the case. However, he allowed the law to take effect on October 19th, even as the challenge to its constitutionality continues. He told attorneys for the plaintiffs that they had not provided enough evidence to prove that they could win their case. There was a different result in Montana, where U.S. District Court Judge Brian Morris agreed to extend his temporary injunction against a ban on family-friendly drag queen story hours in schools and libraries. He said this week that the state has thus far failed to prove that children would somehow be harmed by attending those shows. The constitutional challenge to that law also continues. Finally, former Florida Republican State Representative Joe Harding was sentenced this week to four months behind bars. The driving force behind Florida's notorious Don't Say Gay law pleaded guilty in March to wire fraud, money laundering, and making false statements. Harding was nabbed trying to use a $150,000 federal COVID-19 relief loan under the names of no longer operating companies to pay down his credit card and other personal debt. He'll report to jail on January 19th for violating an older law. Don't do fraud. That's news wrap. Global Queer News with Attitude for the week ending October 21st, 2023. Follow the news in your area and around the world. An informed community is a strong community. News Wrap is written by Greg Gordon, edited by Lucia Chappelle, produced by Brian DeShazor, and brought to you by you. Thank you. Help keep us in ears around the world at thiswayout.org, where you can also read the text of this newscast and much more. For This Way Out, I'm Michael Taylor Gray. Stay healthy. And I'm Sarah Montague. Stay safe.
Hi, my name is Billy Bean, and I was a Major League Baseball player from 1986 to 1995. I started with the Detroit Tigers. I played for the Los Angeles Dodgers and the San Diego Padres. I am gay. And you're listening to a show that hits it out of the park every week. This Way Out Radio Magazine. Our listeners support This Way Out in many ways. By subscribing to our e-newsletter. Email us at info at thiswayout.org. And through your financial contributions to our program. More information about how you can give is online at thiswayout.org. Thank, Thank you. you. Rise up. All you warriors of love, all you answers to the prayers of our ancestors from above. I can feel it in my heart. Can you feel it in your blood? I can hear the seven fire calling us to wake up, wake all up. All nations rise, rise up cause now's your time. We don't have to hide anymore cause now's our time. Non-native people have learned about traditional indigenous cultures, largely from archaeologists and sociologists, from the colonizer's perspective. The understanding of the LGBTQ lives within those civilizations has been skewed, but that's changing. A collaborative of indigenous and settler researchers is studying the intersections of indigeneity, gender, sexual orientation, and geography in a dry lab, a laboratory that does work on computers rather than with beakers or Bunsen burners. We heard about them from Lauren Schmidt of This Way Out affiliate KMUD Redwood Community Radio. In the second week of October, our small independent newsroom celebrated Indigenous Peoples Day and National Coming Out Day. It was during this time that I recognized the profound connection between indigenous resistance and queer resistance. Both 2S LGBTQIA individuals and native communities share a common advocacy against racism, colonialism, economic injustice, and environmental inequality. Our shared values challenge traditional Western ideas about gender and sexuality and question the social, economic, and academic status quo. It struck me. Homophobia serves as a tool of colonization. I firmly believe that decolonizing our communities is the path to indigenous sovereignty and queer liberation. This realization led me to the discovery of the Two-Spirit Dry Lab, the first research group dedicated exclusively to Two-Spirit people, communities, and experiences on Turtle Island, otherwise known as North America. This lab represents a vital step towards furthering our shared goals. You know, for the Two-Spirit Dry Lab, Two-Spirit represents the reclamation of Indigenous ways of knowing, doing, being, and I would say seeing, that predates Western and colonial frameworks and ways of like gender and sexuality. As a result, our work is informed by the decolonization of sexuality and gender. Meet Harlan Pruden, a prominent Two-Spirit leader who has tirelessly advocated for Two-Spirit communities on local, national, and international levels. Well, the Two-Spirit Dry Lab, I'm the co-founder. There was like four of us 
who came together of like saying, we want to do research, but we don't want to do research the way that it has traditionally been done or under a Western framework, because that's often damaging. We look at some of the atrocities that have happened to Indigenous communities. And so research has not been kind. And so what we did was we, a couple of us came together of saying, how can we do research with and for two-spirit communities, but have it be good research, research that is informed by good relations and that is informed by Indigenous ways of knowing, being, and doing. And so hence came the Two-Spirit Dry Lab, which is Turtle, one of Turtle Island's first ever research group that solely focuses on Two-Spirit people, communities, and experiences in a realm of like health research. But we do more than that. How do we navigate settler and indigenous relations? How do we come together and work in good ways to do good work? Harlan Pruden and the Two-Spirit Dry Lab team recently visited Northern California, the ancestral and current home to numerous native tribes and rancherias. In a powerful address to local youth from the Hoopa, Yurok, Talawa, and Wiat tribes, Pruden highlighted the intersection of decolonization and gender diversity, emphasizing the revival of two-spirit teachings. Danse, nututumtik Harlan Pruden, ewaka no mani, niha, nihau, niha, ayakwe. Gunanaskomtinin awawa. Greetings, my relatives. My government name is Harlan Pruden. I am First Nations Cree. My mother is from the Beaver Lake Indian Reserve. My father's from the Saddle Indian Reserve. Two different reservations. And I also said in my uh, introduction that I am Two-Spirit in my own language. Niha Ayakwe. And so it does my heart so good that I can talk a little bit and share with you some of the teachings around what and who Two-Spirit people are. Or Two-Spirit then and now, reclaiming our place of honor, respect, and dignity for our gender and sex, sexuality diverse Indigenous people within your respective nations. That within this conversation, there are these concepts of gender identity, gender expression, biological sex, and sexual orientation. And so I was like, I can't use this framework, and we have to go back to our old ways of thinking. And so this is where we will be talking about our old understandings that predate these Western frameworks around sex, sexuality, as well as gender, both identity and expression. So we'll be talking about Two-Spirit people. So first of all, the concept of Two-Spirit. The concept of, this is the closest thing that you're going to get to a definition of what Two-Spirit is. And it's really not a definition, it's a framework. And I'll explain why we can't give you a definition for what Two-Spirit is. So first of all, Two-Spirit is a community organizing tool or strategy and not an identity. Implicit with identity is an endpoint. Kind of like when I came out as gay. Then I had to like go, who, what is gay? Who is gay? And then I started looking, as, you know, I moved downtown and I found the gay community and then I got like schooled in what it was to be gay, right? And then I started fleshing out my identity as a gay man. Well, for Two-Spirit is a way for us to identify those individuals who are indigenous to Turtle Island and have like some sort of like non-binary or sexuality and gender diversity. And when those two come together, then it opens up the possibility for someone to answer the call of Two-Spirit. If you're not Indigenous and you're not like LGBTQI, and the list goes on and on, diverse, sexual, and gender diverse people, you can't use the term Two-Spirit. 
And that sounds harsh, right? But it has to be only reserved for indigenous people who don't see themselves within this binary of masculinity or femininity. The term two-spirit doesn't make sense unless it's contextualized with an indigenous or native framework or community. Within a traditional setting, pre-contact, two-spirit was a, a gender analysis and not a sexual orientation. It was about your role within society. So where did two-spirit come from? So those nations that had a two-spirit tradition, we had our own words within our own languages that named, accounted, and identified our two-spirit relatives. Like at the beginning of the talk when I was introducing myself, I didn't say I was a man, Niha Napueo, nor did I say I was a woman, Niha Esquia. I said Niha Ayakwe. Ayakwe is how we would define two-spirit, right? And so we had our own words of who we are and who we were within our respective nations. But there's a broader framework that we must draw into attention. And so I share that with, like, what are those frameworks? However, in 1492, unwelcomed conquistadors and colonizers arrived, introducing problematic Western perspectives. Between those periods, the term Burdash was used. And Burdash was kind of a yucky word. Um, there was these French missionaries that were wandering on Turtle Island, and they saw these like male-assigned individuals that were hanging out and doing the work of women, and female-assigned individuals that were hanging out with the men and going on war parties and like going on hunts, right? And the French missionaries were like, huh, this doesn't fit into my rigid binary gender system in which that there are only men and women, you know, just like the good book said, God made Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve, right? <laughs> So like, what do we call them? What do we call them, right? But if we go back to that Persian word, barja, it literally translates into a young man or boy who serves as a succubus, or permitting sodomy to be committed upon him, or a passive homosexual partner. Okay, what are they actually saying, right? There is what we would call is, in medical terms, we would say the anal male receptive partner, a passive homosexual partner. And so for many, many years, the term Burdash was used. But starting in 1975, in the Bay Area with Barbara Cameron, Randy Burns, and other community leaders, they formed the first ever organizing effort, and it was called the Bay Area Gay American Indian Organization. They started this organizing effort, and once they started getting the Native people together, they're like, who are you? And, what is, like, and so this is where that conversation started here in California. In 1989, they began a conversation, but in 1990, at the third annual Basket and Bow Gathering, there was this grand talking circle, and it was in Canada, in Winnipeg, just outside of Winnipeg. And at that talking circle, they said, you know, we hate this word burdash. We hate this word burdash, one, it's because it's French. Okay, no, they didn't say that. <laughs> they said, no, we hate this word. It's all about, like, he and him. It's not honoring or inclusive of our two-spirit sisters. It's base. It's only about sex. It's about a particular role within sex. And for a whole host of reasons, they said, we reject it. But then the work for the attendees was like, how do we organize and how do we organize within a multinational or a transnational state? Because there was representatives from the Sioux Nation, the Ojibwe Nation, the Cree Nation. There was, and so... They were like, how do we organize within a pan-Indian framework? 
And so after many, many rounds and much discussions, they landed on the term two-spirit. They wanted a term that reflected a combination of both masculinity and femininity, which attributed to males in feminine roles and females in masculine roles. And there we get a pivot. The pivot was your role, i.e. gender, and a pivot away from sex, sexuality. And so it baked into it, but it also, it was a completely political act. It was an act of and a, and a solidarity and a statement of sovereignty of land and sovereignty of body. That the community was like saying, you French, French missionaries, you members of the academy, that you named us. You have no right to name us. That right belongs to us. Notably, some tribes retain their language and unique terms, so the concept of two-spirit may not be applicable to them. Pruden suggests that two-spirit, sometimes referred to as twin-spirit, serves more as a placeholder. If, so when you meet someone who's indigenous and someone who may be queer or queer-identified, you cannot make the assumption that, one, they even know what two-spirit is or that they use it and claim it. Again, because it's a community organizing tool, right? But you, if you don't know it, you don't know if you can use it. So these are really great spaces for you to learn this and then figure out, should I use this term two-spirit? Or is there a better term, or what can we do? Um, within some languages, like the Navajo or Dene language, um, two-spirit, when you translate two and spirit into their language, it means not a cool thing. And so like for a lot of our Navajo relatives, um, they won't use two-spirit, but they will use their own language of nadle. And so we must create a space of like, oh, they don't use two-spirit, but we should honor their use of their language of nadle. And then uh, the grammar of the two-spirit, like it's like people are like, two-spirit, no, I have one spirit. No, I have three spirits, right? But two-spirit is just a placeholder just so that we can organize and identify those individuals who are indigenous and are the sexual and gender diverse folks. You can watch Prudence full talk on YouTube. Just search Two Spirit Teachings with Harlan Pruden. And for more information and research, you can visit www.twospiritdrylab.ca. And as we all navigate our own gender journeys, remember to resist. Two-spirit people have always been here, that we will always, we will continue on being here as long as there's wind in my lungs. And I am so happy that I'm no longer on this journey alone, that I have other two-spirit relatives, but I have non-Indigenous relatives and many other folks that can show us. As we decolonize sex and gender, and we envision a world free of discrimination, systemic racism, violence, war. My heart right now is in Palestine and the Middle East. War is wrong. When we're not talking and we're not in good relations, incredible violence happens. So I am like incredibly honored that we get to share space with non-Indigenous people so that we may continue talking and having difficult conversations we must share our Indigenous teachings with our non-Indigenous relatives so that we are in good relations and there's a meeting of hearts, minds, and spirits. But then we can get in good relations so that we can walk forward together as one. Harlan Pruden.
reporting for This Way Out from stolen Wailaki land in Northern California. I'm Lauren Schmidt. This Way Out is produced on Tongva Gabriolano land. Thanks for discovering This Way Out, brought to you by the nonprofit Overnight Productions. Newswrap was reported this week by Sarah Montague and Michael Taylor Gray and produced by Brian DeShazer. Our correspondent was Lauren Schmidt. You heard music from Camelot and by Dr. Rayla June. Kim Wilson, composer, performed our theme music. This way out thanks David Hunt and Richard Merck and Brad Payton of Silicon Valley. Listener donors like them make this program possible. Ask us for more information. Look for This Way Out Radio on social media, email us at info at thiswayout.org, or write to us at P.O. Box 1065, Los Angeles, California, 90078, USA. For associate producer Lucia Chappelle and the entire This Way Out crew, I'm Greg Gordon. Thanks for listening online at thiswayout.org or wherever you get your podcasts, and on WOMR, Provincetown, Massachusetts, CJLY, Crawford Bay, British Columbia, KSPC, Claremont, California. California, and a wide array of community terrestrial and internet radio stations around the world, including this one. Stay healthy, stay safe, and stay tuned.